Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode four of Nerdology. And today I'm really pleased to be joined by Sam Hemming. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi. All right? Yeah, you know, better middling. <laughs> uh, we're here today to talk about a couple of great films, in my opinion. I will wait to see whether Sam agrees or not. Mm -hmm. um, I was prompted to perhaps look at these by a bit of feedback we had from Monica in California, who listens regularly. Hi, Monica. Um, she would really like to hear something on Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, so we figured we perhaps couldn't do his entire series of films because that would take a long time, but we thought we'd focus on a couple of certainly my favourites. So the first one we're going to cover is Rear Window. Any thoughts, Sam, initially? Yeah, I mean, I've seen quite a lot of Hitchcock films, and but I haven't seen any of the last sort of few years. Mm. So when you asked me to do his podcast, I sort of, I think I, you chose Rear Window, didn't you? Yeah. I, I chose Vertigo, but Rear Window is, I completely misremembered the ending of the film. Mm. Um, I must have stopped watching it half an hour before the end or something, because I remember <laughs> the film as ending when they said it wasn't actually a murder. And right, then, So yeah. it was actually um, a surprise, <laughs> despite yeah. the fact I'd seen the film before, so it was quite a nice surprise that he was actually a murderer. Hmm. Um, I mean, not for his wife, obviously. No, but, no, probably uh, not. <laughs> so just yeah. to go back over it, this was made in 1954, so this was really the start of his American... Uh, period, because he'd been making movies in Britain up until yeah. that point. Um, so the main people in there, you've got Jimmy Stewart, who's the lead who made several movies with him, and I think he's a fantastic actor. Jimmy, is it? Oh, sorry, James Stewart. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's great. He's, I mean, it's been said a million times before, he's the everyman, and I think he, he plays that part so well. Yeah, he's got a great voice as well for that mm. sort of thing. So. Um... So he, he's, for anyone who's not that up to speed, we're probably going to blow the entire plot for you, so you might want to watch the film before you actually listen back to this. But So he plays this guy called uh, L.B. Jeffries, or just Jeff, they shorten it down to, who's um, a photographer, and he ends up um, getting injured quite badly in a photo shoot when he's covering a, I think it's a car race or something. Mm -hmm. So he's invalid, he's got this massive great cast on his leg, and he's just sat there uh, in a wheelchair... And he's having to spend all this time in his apartment just looking out the window. And uh, it kind of gets a bit voyeuristic, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's that would happen to anyone, really, wouldn't it? If you've got a big big window looking out mm -hmm. and you've got nothing else to do. <laughs> and you've got a binocular, a pair of binoculars and yeah. a wide, <laughs> long lens. Yeah, which yeah. Which the average person obviously has. <laughs> um, well, him being a photographer, I guess he might, might possibly yeah. be forgiven for having those bits. So, yeah, the whole, the whole thing kind of plays out. The, the main from his apartment is one or two little scenes where it's kind of set from a different point of view but most of it is mm. is from that location so you see him looking out um, it's a really sweltering hot summer which I think is why everyone's got all their windows sort of you know all the curtains are drawn uh, open so you can see what's going on mm. so there's a pretty eclectic bunch of neighbours that he's got you already mentioned the uh, the slightly iffy guy that may have bumped off his wife. Yeah, Ironside. Yeah, yeah Raymond Burr. And there's... Um, who else have we got? Is Miss Lonely Hearts. Yeah, that's a bit of a sad it story. Is. But it's it got is. a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, she's um, kind of you see her playing out little sort of uh, role plays of inviting someone around for dinner, and she just has a bit of a mental breakdown and ends up in tears. And you feel kind of bad because I think one of the things Hitchcock does really well is he kind of makes you complicit in the mm. voyeurism. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this the way the f- cinematography is, it's the way this the camera sweeps basically the point of view. Mm. You're looking and you're looking... It, it's kind of a sneaky point of view as well and you're seeing all these little individual private things happening. And, um, you know, you, when you're watching it, you're sort of thinking, oh, I shouldn't really be watching this. but Which brings us on like to Miss Torso. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we said this in the chat beforehand. I, I think they really knew how to build women in the 50s. She's very well put together. Ah, and also flattering underwear. Yeah, I yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's like a... Is she a ballet dancer? She's a dancer of some kind. Yeah. And um, she... Outwardly, it looks like she's got a pick of the guys, but it kind of plays out slightly differently through the film, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there sort of seems to be a load of guys sort of uh, around her like a moth to a flame. But I'm she, glad you used that, yes. that version of that. I nearly didn't, actually. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So you've got, you got them. There's uh, also a couple who seem to spend most of their time on the fire escape because it's so hot. So they've got Is like a mattress. Uh, well, that's why I assume, unless they're a bit I unhinged. just thought they were a bit eccentric, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it's probably, it's, you're probably right. What, you mean lowering your pet dog down <laughs> to the floor from about three storeys up in a little basket is is eccentric? Would you say that? Perhaps, hmm. but then I, I wouldn't be able to be bothered to go down the stairs anyway, so I'd be doing that. <laughs> so you want a Sam-sized basket? Mm. Mm. Okay. Fine. So yeah, you've got you've got those two. Uh, oh, there's also a, a composer. That's another thing with the, the film. Um, there's very little score. I think when the the credits come up at the start, there's a, a theme. Yeah, it's almost completely silent, isn't it? Yeah, I, you, the only music there is is generated on the set, mm. and it's supposed mm. to be your hearing music or whatever it might be generated by the other neighbours so that's quite interesting sort of adds to the realism of it really. yeah, like if you've yeah. got this sort of dramatic music happening in the background like you do in Vertigo mm. um, it might you might not sort of be buying into the whole voyeurism mm. part of it as much and it's one hell of a set as well mm. did you they look at make it? it sort of completely from scratch presumably it's yes. not like an actual location I watched a bit of the, the documentary on the DVD and they were talking about how um, they came up with the idea of starting to build the set actually underneath the soundstage, which they thought would never fly because the studio wouldn't allow it, but because it was mm. Hitchcock, they said, yeah, do it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they made it the whole thing from scratch. And it's really impressive. Mm. You can imagine just walking out onto that, and it looks so good. So you've got that... It's almost like a little square, isn't it, with a... You've got the sort of paved area in the middle with the sort of gardens, which kind of comes into play a bit later on in the film. Yeah. So the, the long and short of it is that he, in his voyeurism, thinks he's witnessed a murder. Yeah. But uh, unusually, I mean, everything is pretty much on show except the actual supposed murder itself, mm. which is behind blinds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, obviously that adds the mystery to it and you'd think well is he actually making this up in his own head because he's sort of gone a bit doolally mm. or I mean his connection to the world is really limited to 
you've got the nurse who comes round to see him, um, who's played by Thelma Ritter, who right. I think she's really good. She's a really good kind of character actress. Uh, and so she comes around to visit him, and she ends up kind of buying into his whole thing of, you know, the conspiracy and what have you. I was quite surprised, quite surprised how readily both her and the other actress bought into the, uh, mm. well, the other character, bought into the whole madness, really. Mm. I think I would have taken a bit more persuading, to be honest. Yeah, the other actress being Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly, yeah. Who is, in my opinion, gorgeous. I think she's amazing. Was amazing. Yeah, well, I can't say, I mean, my wife's looking directly at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, so he, that's another thing about this film. He's got, outwardly, the perfect woman, um, but he's reticent to settle down, isn't he? She, she wants him to settle down, get married, but he's still thinking about his career all the time, even though he's mm. kind of in the situation where he can't, can't do anything. And he's almost trying to find reasons to try and keep things as they are rather than commit. Yeah, because at one point she's sort of saying, oh, I'll come with you and that sort of thing. And he's saying, oh, no, you wouldn't... Also, giving her a whole load of reasons mm. why that wouldn't be good for kind her. Kind of you wouldn't last five minutes, yeah, that sort of thing. exactly. Yeah. And somebody, I think I read this, doing a little bit of research online, I think somebody made the point that... I think it's quite clever, I never really thought of it when I was watching it when you look out the window you're seeing the Raymond Burr character it's kind of the the reverse of their situation so uh, James Stewart's invalid and she's coming in to look after him and yeah. the other way around the Raymond Burr character his wife is uh, bed bound um, and it, it's almost like he's kind of seeing that and seeing potentially what could happen to them if they did ever settle down which is quite an interesting way of looking at it yeah Hopefully you wouldn't end up murdering her. <laughs> so yeah, the whole thing plays out. He's he's not sure whether you know he's convinced that he's bumped her off. You know, he's seeing this guy leaving his apartment at three o'clock in the morning with suitcase and making several trips, which is very odd. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, if I was been looking out the window at three o'clock in the morning and seen that, yeah, I probably would have thought something weird was happening, especially if it was raining that much. Yeah, but. it's a bit odd. But then he gets in touch with a friend of his who's a detective, if I remember rightly. Yeah. And it effectively, it kind of talks him out of it in as much as saying, oh, I think you're just imagining it and uh, we've checked it over. I mean, it, it all kind of comes down to some telegram that his wife is supposedly picked up from some location miles away. So it's kind of making it like they've just kind of become estranged rather than mm. anything happening to it. And it, he almost believes it himself, doesn't he? He kind of gets to that point where... He's he's kind of uh, accepted that, and then the neighbor's dog starts digging up part of the garden. Yeah, which Raymond Burr's not overly happy about, uh, which culminates in the dog being throttled. Yeah, that was um, a poor little dog. Yeah, poor little thing. <laughs> was it? <laughs> so so yeah, it's um, it's a it's a great suspense film because you outwardly you think oh it's just some guy sat in a room but. It works. It works so well. And how much of that is down to the direction, how much of it is down mm. to the way it's written, I don't know. But Well, I mean, the way the script's written, in comparison to Vertigo, it's a lot. the dialogue's a lot snappier. Mm. There's more... There is a lot of visual... The, the voyeur, voyeurism type thing. There's a lot of visual elements of it, but there's also quite a 
a lot of dialogue in it in comparison to Vertigo, which is like almost silent for quite a lot of it. If you compare the two, this one's going more for a realism, whereas yeah. Vertigo is more almost like an art film, mm. in yeah. my opinion. So yeah, it kind of culminates with uh, the the real the tension racks up when he. I don't know if he decides or whether Grace Kelly and the the nurse decide off their own backs that they're going to go out and and start digging the the. Uh... Yeah, I don't think um, Jimmy Stewart was that happy about it. Um, no. But he kind of liked like the fact that they were doing it as well because mm. he wanted to know. So he he phones Raymond Burr's character whilst watching him through the window and says, "Oh yeah, I, I know what's going on. Meet me at this restaurant." Um, so he gets obviously gets flustered and, and goes off, and then the tension is unbelievable. You, they're out there, sort of digging up the the flower bed, and uh, he's kind of keeping an eye out to try and make sure that he doesn't come back. Mm. Then it all goes a bit pear shaped. Grace takes it upon herself to go up the ladder, or is that later in the film? No, no, that's that that's the... it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's because you can't see the doors. Yes. you can just see. In the windows, you can see Raymond Burr on one mm-hmm. side and her on the other side. I think that's quite an effective, yeah. uh, because obviously you can see both of them, but they mm-hmm. can't see each other at that point, which I think um, that was quite a good device, really. So he's he's really certain that she's going to cop it, so he phones for the police when he thinks that Burr's going to come back. Say Burr, there is a character name. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it Thorvald? Yes, mm. yeah, I remembered um, and she kind of plays it very smartly and just kind of comes clean and says yeah I was I was in here and the police take her off and um, it's at that point that he twigs that someone's watching and uh, yeah that was yeah it's the first sign he, the first time he looks at um, the camera basically yes isn't it? yeah straight into the camera lens which is yeah looking right at us mm. and we feel like <gasps> yeah we've been found out and then you've got yeah because you're complicit in the whole mm. thing aren't you and then the phone goes, and he picks it up thinking it's just going to be his detective friend phoning back, but it's not. Yeah. And that is, you cut the atmosphere with a knife. And of yeah, course you got the, He doesn't say anything, does he? The no, rainbow, no. You just, I think you hear him hanging up. Yes. Which is, yeah. And then the rest of it is kind of plays out with him sitting there in the dark. He's got no defences, there's no one there to help him. And you can hear these footsteps gradually getting closer mm. and closer to the door, and the tension is really, you know, it's really to... effective. I mean, it's that's the only thing that really, because most of the action actually happens away from where you are, because mm. it happens in Raymond Burr's apartment. Yeah, you're looking onto it you're rather looking than looking onto it, and mm. you can't hear what's being said between uh, Grace Kelly and the police and mm. that sort of thing. You can just see it, but that's the only time when any sort of confrontation or any sort of mm-hmm. action happens. Like right close to the camera, mm-hmm. and then you've got this sort of uh, the finale where he's already broken one leg, and Raymond first determined to chuck him out the window, <laughs> so he just breaks more than that. And the police turn up. It's uh, quite a, a sort of a barnstormer of a finish. Yeah. So he gets another le- broken leg and another Hitchcock motif of. Um, heights and falling and that sort of thing which is mm. quite uh, prevalent I think. Especially in the other film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and before we finish up on that, I mean it, I think he kind of plays quite nicely when you see him, it kind of goes back to him in his wheelchair again he's now got two broken legs 
and Grace Kelly's sort of stretched out in kind of, for want of better words, sort of outdoors gear. So she's looking like she's ready to go off and join him on his next photo shoot. She's reading this thing about the Himalayas or something. Yeah. And as soon as he falls asleep, she's picking up a copy of her fashion magazine. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's quite nicely done. So, yeah, what, what the future of that relationship holds, we don't mm. know. But I think so. Hitchcock was quite into the idea of sort of looking at relationships and mm-hmm. and romantic love and things like that. And I think it's uh, something that comes up in the other film that we're going to look at as well. Mm-hmm. And he, he had his little cameo. Which I always miss. In Rear Window, yeah. He was um, winding the clock when the, the composer sat at the piano. And he kind of almost breaks the fourth wall. He looks kind of straight out the window, but I think he's actually just talking to him because you see him turn around and, mm. and answer him. But, um, so yeah, he likes to get his little cameos in. Yeah. No, I mean, I really enjoyed it. The cinematography is really good. It's, I think it's even better in Vertigo. But, yeah, I mean, for what Hitchcock is trying to do with films, there's normally something quite interesting that's quite different than no one's ever done before like that. Pretty much in one space. Yeah. Um, the other one broke, which is in like basically basically one full take. Was it two? Yeah, two takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of central centralizes these films around the concept, these interesting concepts that mm-hmm. he sort of does away with after that film. Yeah. And I think yeah. I read somewhere that he used a particular lens, which is supposed to replicate as closely as possible normal human vision yeah which obviously ties back in with the whole voyeuristic nature of it which mm. I think is quite a, mm. a clever move a great film certainly one of my favourites of his yeah um, great performances all round very think, enjoyable um, I mean I've seen a fair few of his films and they're all great it's pretty much pretty much all that I've seen is great apart from mm. that one with Doris Day in it um, <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one. The Man Who Knew Too Much, the remake. Oh, I'm right. sure it's a great film. I, I think she puts me off for some reason. But um, expected a break into the song or something. I think she does. Oh no, oh, I think dear. she does. Um, and maybe that's why I remember it as being not too good. Mm. But it's a remake of an earlier film of his. But mm. Another one of his blondes, Hitchcock blondes. Yeah, they have a thing for blondes, didn't they? Yeah, just a bit. Mm. Um, which yeah, which is also in the next film, hmm. to probably to a greater extent I would have said. I mean, there's two blondes in Rear Window. There's hmm. also well, there's at least two blondes in the next one. Or are they blondes? But, uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> the eyebrows are a bit of a giveaway. Oh God, yeah. What's going on with those? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll perhaps come to that <laughs> in a bit. <laughs> so the second movie we're going to talk about is is Vertigo. Mm-hmm. That came a bit later. That was fifty-eight. Yep. James Stewart. James Stewart. Yeah, as the as, as the, the lead. Stewart. Kim Novak this time is the the female lead. Although I don't think she was meant to be. If I remember rightly, she was called in because the the woman he originally cast, I think it was Vera Miles, was going to be the lead, and then she fell pregnant. So he then cast Kim Novak, and then I think as it turned out, she had already agreed to film something else and had a holiday so by the time her contract had actually played out the original woman could have done it <laughs> but they kind of stuck with Kim Novak anyway so, um, so she's in it um, and Barbara Bell Geddes who does she play? she plays Midge 
Leech. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Who, my generation probably would know her more as Miss Ellie from Dynasty. No, not Dynasty. Dallas, wasn't it? Dallas, same thing. Yeah, yeah, interchangeable, really, aren't they? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, he's um, this retired cop, isn't he? You see the you see the beginning of the film, and there's this really dramatic rooftop chase. Where after this ne'er do well, he's kind of trying to make an escape. Mm. There's him and this uniform cop, and uh, Stuart kind of slips and falls, and he's kind of hanging on by his fingertips, and he's a long way up. And the uh, the police officer is kind of trying to re- reach out to help him back up, and he ends up falling to his death. Mm. And uh, it's at that point where. Stuart's character realises he's got a pretty bad case of vertigo. Well, you would be. You? <laughs> Very well realised as well. <laughs> the way they use the camera to do that is, I think it's a... Oh, yeah, that's a great technique. Yeah, so if I remember rightly, they, um, they see the, they pull the camera back and they zoom so in they or do it the other way around. around. Yeah. yeah, it's very. It's a very good effect. It kind of gives you that sense of what it must be like. Mm. So that, that sets up the sort of the, the beginning of the film... And then his acquaintance asks him um, to do like a private eye job for him on his wife, who he's convinced is is possessed. Yeah, I was wondering because this is the first time I've seen this film, and I was wondering mm. where that was going. Whether it was yeah. actually, I mean, um, supernatural isn't really Hitchcock's thing, so mm. I knew there was something going to be something going on behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean. I quite like the fact that the beginning of the film when Stuart sort of is in Midge's apartment or something. Yes, that's right. And he um, he looks like he's just getting over a leg injury as well, which is quite, yeah. it's quite a nice. <laughs> he's wearing a girdle, isn't he? Yeah. Because he's uh, obviously been straining himself trying to hang on for dear life. Which is quite a nice lead on from Rear Window. Yeah. I'm sure that wasn't intended. But... And there's that kind of awkwardness between him and the Midge character. I think they were originally engaged. Yeah, back in college. Mm. Mm. And the acquaintance who asks him to be a private eye, mm. if I remember right, he's in, he was in college with him as well, despite the fact he's got a clipped English accent. Yeah, well, I'm sure there are some English people that kind of live in San Francisco, maybe. Yeah, but you thought if you were there since college, you might have developed more of an American accent than that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's... Um, you get the impression from the stars it's a bit there's something not quite right going on so he ends up he tells her and she's kind of going to museums to look at paintings of her predecessor apparently the whole thing she's got no idea what she's doing she's in a trance and she's she's doing all this stuff without even knowing it mm-hmm. um, and she ends up chucking herself into the San Francisco Bay and he has to drag her out, which starts the whole sort of chain of events off. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really sort of... I think it was about sort of 25 minutes, half an hour of almost complete silence because mm. he's just driving after this woman mm. and we're sort of meant to be following the same thought process as he is without actually hearing what he's thinking, which mm. is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and, yeah... And then, yeah, I'm presuming, I mean, presumably she knew he was following him and everything like that, and mm. she obviously couldn't let on that she knew. And 
so she, so she could um, fall into the river without actually dying. So he, he gets her back to his place and dries her off and what have you, and then she just legs it. Yeah. Which again is a bit odd. Um, and he ends up kind of catching up with her again and following her, and then she ends up going back to his house to put a, a thank you letter through the door. And it kind of starts off this weird relationship between the two of them. Yeah. Which, when you think that she's supposed to be Just his be. friend's wife, is a bit... And I, I read somewhere that um, Hitchcock later said that the film didn't... He, he thought the film was not quite as successful as it could have been because James Stewart was 50 and she was 25. Mm. And that would that's um, not necessarily a believable coupling that mm. Hitchcock... Because she looks older than 25. Yeah. And I wouldn't say he looks quite as old as he is. No, I'd agree on that. Um, So it wasn't... Because I read that before I actually saw the film and actually I was sort of surprised at how... Not as unrealistic as it could have been, really. Hmm. But um, So he ends up kind of tailing her because he's terrified that she's going to try and top herself again. Mm. And they end up going to... um, this missionary place and she's just goes off on one and legs it up the, the uh, bell tower and of course he's all over the shop because as soon as he gets past the first couple of uh, levels of steps he's having another attack yeah next thing you know she goes flying past the window splat <laughs> don't think they actually use the splat sound but no uh, <laughs> but they um I think they're a bit tough on him in the in the hearing afterwards, don't you think? That's really... Maybe it's something of the 50s. Maybe they were a bit more like that by then, but... It's sort of like a teacher telling off a naughty child. Yeah. Really making you feel bad about himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't exactly his fault that he's got vertigo. Hmm. But, yeah, I mean, there was the way they used the camera again to do that effect with the, the zooming out and mm. the zooming in type thing is... That was especially effective in that bit because it made you sort of go, Ugh. yeah, yeah. And then I think they ended up having to use model shots because the 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 way the camera worked, it was just too confined a space for them to be able to do it. So you couldn't go f- too far down no. with the camera. Then apparently the whole they constructed that set and it's about seventy feet high. So I think they didn't. There wasn't too much acting required <laughs> <laughs> to make them feel a bit uh, a bit ill. Mm. Um, so so yeah, he's he's just completely he's a a sort of a husk of a man after that, isn't he? He ends up yeah. going to this kind of um, mental home. Well, yeah, born of a better phrase, <laughs> <laughs> where sort of Midge comes. I really feel sorry for Midge because she's with him all the way, and, and she obviously she, likes him. Yeah, and she's like this real rock uh, out there to look after him, and he, she gets nothing back from him whatsoever. <laughs> he, it's another thing they've got in common those two films you know he's got this great woman and he's just I don't know it's a very very strange setup. I mean in this film he's a lot more of a victim because actually he's turned into this husk as you say but mm. he's just been completely used by um, by his so called friend yeah because he runs into this girl who looks the absolute spitting image of the woman he's been asked to betrayal um same eyebrows and everything. Same eyebrows, <laughs> different hair. Same eyebrows. Yeah. I'm thinking, what's going on here then? Mm. Now, I think at this point it takes a different, 
um, approach compared to the original book that it's based on. Right. Because I don't, uh, from what I've read, the actual denouement is her revealing right at the very end that it was all a setup. Whereas I think Hitchcock felt it would be much more interesting for a viewing audience to see about two-thirds of the way in, the reveal, her sort of having this flashback to the events yeah. before. And then you've got that whole kind of paranoia going on from her side of things that, you know, is he going to work it out? Is he going to... It's a good turnaround, really, because, mm. yeah, it's... You see this flashback and you go, oh, wow. And then, in a way, he kind of becomes a little bit of a villain because he's sort of trying to change her and make her look that's like this really odd. supposed other woman but it's actually the same woman so yeah. that's more of a twist around and I found that quite unsettling yeah I mean, he drags her to that clothes shop and they have umpteen different uh, suits before they get to the one that's the same one that she wore originally mm. and they're dyeing the hair and all that kind of stuff creepy theoretically if it had been a completely other woman who just looked looked like her that would have been an awful thing to do to someone. Yeah. But actually, she kind of deserved it anyway. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't to know that. No, time. no. That's it. Until. And then he put the old... She asked him to uh, clasp her necklace. Do you know, clasp at the back of her necklace? And it's then that he twigs. That was a bit, a bit of a stupid mistake on her part, really, wasn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. So... So yeah, we end up back at the uh, the bell tower again. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I think at one point, Midge, the woman that he just doesn't seem bothered about at all, says to him she thinks the only way he's going to ever, ever lose this problem is if he has a severe shock. Yeah, which which he does. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they kind of go through the whole thing again. But this time... She doesn't come out of it quite so well. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Um, a nun frightens her off the edge, doesn't it, basically? Yes. <laughs> doesn't she, basically? <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I think it, a lot of it is about um, obsession. The whole kind of, you know, going back over the same things again and again and again. And that kind of comes through in the score as well. It's a fantastic score by uh, yeah. Bernard Herrmann. So really, yeah, I mean, there's a real contrast from from Rear Window, but it does fit because it's, as you say, sort of about obsession. This score is kind of accentuating all these feelings and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and it's um, yeah, it's really good, and it's, it gets a bit trippy in places. Yeah, some really far out stuff in there, it's like two thousand and one and Space Odyssey. <laughs> in places. Yeah. the whole thing where his head is kind of going down that yeah. with the flashing lights and everything. That's and then, Pretty cool, actually, but just very trippy. Quite ahead of its time, because, you know, it's yeah. way before the sort of that whole sort of psychedelic yeah. period in the 60s. And it was... Yeah, and there's a cartoon bit as well, isn't there, with flowers? And, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's, quite, really. that's quite cool. I suppose it's to sort of emphasise the kind of dreamlike aspect of it and lack of sort of certainty what reality is and that sort of mm. thing. Because it, it's kind of... You're kind of flitting between, you know, is she mad? And then you're starting to think, is he mad? <laughs> so are um, they both mad? Yeah. Or do either of them actually not exist? <laughs> so you kind of, at the end of it, you're kind of left with this 
denouement where he's just stood at the top of the tower looking down at her dead body, um, which is not exactly a a happy ending by <laughs> any means. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not a fairy story. Let's be honest. Hmm. Although there are some kind of uh, to me, it kind of came out a little bit like a it had sort of elements of um, that kind of mystery and that the whole thing about her being possessed and obviously you know afterwards that's completely debunked but mm. for a while you know if you really get into the story you could conceivably kind of buy into that maybe I'm not as cynical as you I kind of I went with that oh yeah I the... did actually because I didn't know any and it didn't know any different I hadn't mm. I accidentally I was reading a little bit about it and I was trying to I was trying to avoid spoiling the plot for myself mm-hmm. but I accidentally saw Kim Novak as da 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 and da 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 for oh yeah. god what's going to happen there mm. so that spoiled myself a little bit yeah. but yeah no I did I I did buy into a little bit of the supernatural element of it but um, it was kind of unimportant really mm. whether or not it was true to start with because it's more about um, what am I trying to say it's more about the relationship, kind of, than the actual whether the supernatural element is mm. true, really. Mm. But that becomes more important in the last bit of the film when we actually realise it's a, a con trick. Mm. Yeah. Uh, both these films required a lot of restoration. I was reading, um, doing a bit of research and watched a few of the, the DVD extras, and um, it's hard to believe. I mean, these are two, they're both kind of hailed as classics, mm. but really after not that long they both kind of fall into a really bad state of repair and they had to be seriously um, worked on in order to, to save the original prints at all so it could have been lost forever mm. um, I think it was uh, I can't remember which one it was now either Vertigo or Rear Window they're saying the, the print had become so badly warped that the colours had separated so you had to go back from scratch and kind of um, readjust all the colours you thought they made it a bit taken a bit more care of it really yeah (laughs) when you think of how important they well they seem to be regarded as quite important films now because it's not like it was the early work of a director before he became famous because he was already already Mm. famous for about 20-30 years so Although I don't think Vertigo was really hailed as a classic at the time when it came out, was it? I think it had a few mixed reviews, mm. but I think some people did really, really like it. Yeah. Um, I think Hitchcock said it was one of his favourites, mm. apart from his gripe with the whole James Stewart looking too old, apparently. Thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think Rear Window is more, probably more universally liked at the time. Possibly a more accessible film. Yeah. Yeah, because there's less sort of... It's more of a straightforward suspense, really. Yes. Because if you really think about the story, it's kind of straightforward. Someone mm. gets murdered in the flat opposite. It's kind of a linear narrative. Yeah. Whereas this other one... It's all over the shop. ...could go off in tangent, other yeah. tangents, supernatural, mm-hmm. or con trick and murder and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So... Mm. 
So did you get a chance to see any of the DVD extras or did you just watch purely the films? Well, the DVDs I actually have are dirt cheap ones that don't really have any extras <laughs> on it. So no. Right. <laughs> well, the one I've got, I can't remember which one it was on now, one of the two. There's a really cool anecdote of um, this chap who, who knew Hitch. And uh, they're in this um, elevator. And again, it's just them two. They're sat there, stood there in the elevator. And uh, complete silence. The little numbers gradually going down before they get to the, the bottom floor. And the, the door's open halfway down. And these two people step in. And Hitchcock suddenly starts talking about, oh, God, it was unbelievable. There was blood coming from his mouth, from his nose. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. It was just oh, the most gruesome sight you've ever seen. And you, you just wouldn't believe how it ended. And he times it perfectly so that just as he's getting to the point where he needs to reveal what's happened, the door's open <laughs> and it's the bottom floor, so they've got to get off. So they all just kind of stare at him and he stares back. And they go and... Uh, so the guy that's walking along with him says, what's all that about? What, what happened? He goes, oh, no, that's just my elevator speech. <laughs> that's great. What a great anecdote. So, yeah, he's a, a real character. He'd have had to know that elevator quite well, really, if he knows exactly You would have thought, that. yeah, yeah. Might have been a bit of artistic licence in his anecdote, <laughs> but I liked it. I thought it was very fun. Mm. So, yeah, some, some good stuff on some of those discs. So yeah. any more thoughts on Vertigo I mean, before just we Just like the, um, the whole Hitchcock blondes thing. Hmm. I was reminded in in, in Vertigo um, when after James Stewart had come out of his uh, respite home hmm. um, he was sort of wandering the streets looking at all these blondes and thinking, oh she looks like she, oh, she looks like her she looks like her yeah. looking at all these blonde blonde hairs women in the streets hmm. and I thought to myself that's probably how Hitchcock went through life <laughs> yeah. because he was obviously trying to look for this sort of perfect blonde actress for every one of his movies and eventually he got Tippi Hadron this sort of yeah. like this little puppet that he he kind of moulded in the image that he wanted mm. and yeah so that, that just put me in mind of that really mm-hmm. that sequence of that film my wife made a very good point she actually asked whether Hitchcock's wife was blonde I must admit I don't know no I think she worked quite closely with him on, on most of his yeah. movies, but I think she was quite a private person. I don't think she really wanted to be in the limelight. I think I read somewhere, this might be me completely making it up, but I think I read somewhere that she was a little bit jealous. Mm. Understandably. Yeah. yeah. Well, not that any of them probably would have touched him with a barge pole, really. But <laughs> Is there anything else that you've been enjoying lately, sort of DVDs or books or music? Or... Yeah, I mean... I... <laughs> Most of my sort of new things are, are actually old things, mm. really. I buy sort of old series and old music quite a lot of the time, but mm. it's something relatively relatively new I'll be getting into. But actually, it's kind of, I'm kind of still a little bit late to the parties with Dexter. Yeah, we haven't watched that, actually. Mm. Good? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of meant to trouble your moral compass, really, because it's obviously it's about a serial killer, mm-hmm. so think serial killer, evil. And... But the serial killer is acting on sort of good, um, in a good way. Is it in, kind in, of like the, the hustle sense. philosophy where they only rip off people who deserve yeah. to be ripped off? Yeah, literally rip off in this case. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> he basically, he had a trauma when he was a child. He turned, he became a serial killer as he was growing up. And his father was a policeman. So his father taught him to use his talents 
against mm. evil people rather mm. than good people. So he's got this sort of moral code that he kills. Murders. Which are all psychopaths probably think that they're mm. doing exactly Well, that's that. the thing. So you're supposed to think, well, is he actually doing it for good reasons or is he just doing it because... He's a nutter. He, he's a nutter and it's sort of better, in inverted commas, to kill bad people. Or mm. he's, and he's, he's sort of value makes you evaluate your own sort of morals, really. I think, and it's it's really well written. Mm. But actually, going back to Hustle, isn't the the lady that yes. in Hustle? In yes, she's yeah, in yeah. series two, playing a, um someone who gets involved with Dexter, and it mm. actually turns. Well, I, I won't spoil it, just in case. I'm guessing it probably doesn't end well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, but nothing ends well in Dexter. No, no. And yeah, so there's, I think there's six series now, and I'm just starting the, starting the fifth. Mm. But it's nice if you can kind of jump in at the beginning for something that's well established. Because if you really get into it, you've got all this extra stuff that you can just look back on. Um, mm. So it's nothing worse than really finding a show you really like, and then you've got to wait for another year or whatever before mm. the next series comes out. So you can really immerse yourself in it. That's the thing with De- the first series of Dexter. Is I mean, you shouldn't really jump in sort of fourth or fifth series because mm. there's a lot of background in the first series and yeah. it says a lot about his character obviously most most series are like that that mm. really sets up the, sets up the character but it, this sets up the character and deals with a lot of his sort of backstory in a really sort of good and suspenseful way mm. so if, yeah I think I mean as I said I'm fairly late to the party but you're even later so <laughs> yeah you you're ahead of me give it a go yeah I might, have, I might have to borrow it from you yeah I mean, we've, uh, it's been a weird year for us, me and Amy have been to quite a few live events this year, compared to the last couple of years. The last couple of years there's not been much on that we've really felt that passionately we wanted to go and see, whereas now there's loads of stuff all coming on at the same time. Uh, we went to see a uh, comedian I think you know quite well, uh, Stuart Lee. Oh, you've been to see him? Yeah, we went to see him down in Plymouth. Oh, I didn't realise it was this Yeah, early. Was it good? Very, very good, yeah. We're, we're seeing him in 24th of June or something yeah, like that. Yeah, we, we were going to go and see that performance and then something else came up, so we ended up having to change our tickets. So um, so we went to see him down there and it was really, really good oh, show. Good. His, his uh, humour appeals to me a lot. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, as far as... Uh, there's a lot of standard comedians I like, but Stuart Lee, I think... His mentality is closest to mine, or his thoughts on things mm. are closest to mine out of all of those. I mean, I, mean, I like Richard Herring as well, mm. obviously, but from the same sort of stable. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, Sarah doesn't, Sarah, not, you've not particularly seen any Richard um, Stuart Lee things. That's Sam's wife, by the way. Yes. Who's <laughs> <laughs> um, being very quiet in the corner. <laughs> um, but yeah, hopefully, it'll, as it's live, it will probably be more atmospheric, so mm. you're more likely to like it. I think. But well, I think Amy really enjoyed it. She didn't really know what to expect. Uh, she'd been to a few stand-up things with me before, more out of sufferance really than yeah. any real desire to go. But I think she quite enjoyed that. So yeah, if you get a chance to see Stuart lead, uh, I think the show is called Carpet Remnant World. Mm. So yeah, that's that's on tour in the UK at the moment. So definitely advise you to go out and see that. Uh, the other thing we saw more recently um, was locally in Exeter at the Northcott Theatre. We saw a, a production of The Hand of the Baskervilles. Oh, yeah. Which was really good. Uh, it was quite an inventive use of the staging. 
they had when you first get into the the theatre you sit down and there's this tiny little expanse of more and you think hmm not sure about this um, but they've got these backdrops which are very cleverly constructed and they actually project the scenery onto them oh, right and they also use it for part of the narrative structure as well very cleverly done so you've got sliding doors that open and close to reveal different parts of the set and that kind of thing mm. um, very well done quite a decent cast none of them were really names that I was particularly well acquainted with and I don't go to the theatre that much um, but yeah a good strong cast uh, very enjoyable a bit of humour in there as well um, so yeah I, I think that's coming towards uh, the end of its run but um, I might put some notes on the the podcast page if you're interested in going might be able to put a link up if you fancy going to that in, if you're in the UK that's uh, definitely an, an enjoyable one mm. how do they um, achieve the beast or do you not really see it that much um, yeah it's, it's, they do it quite quite well they're, they kind of use the fourth wall so they're when it only really tends to appear a couple of times and it's kind of played out so that the actors are staring right into the audience. Oh, I see. And you see the shadow of the beast kind of in the background behind them projected onto onto the set, mm. which works quite well. It, they don't go into that sort of hammy, sort of pretending to be attacked sort of thing where they're clutching <laughs> their throat or anything like that. But um, there's some great stuff. And when the, the bad guy finally goes into the Grimp and Meyer, that's, that's very well played out. And there's a, quite a neat kind of uh, uh, twist at the end which I shan't spoil for anyone who's going to go and see it, but yeah, it's, it's good. What did you think to the um, the version that they did in the Stephen Moffat's Sherlock recently? Yeah. Um, I talked about this a little bit with JR. I, I really enjoyed the first series. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I, st- I enjoyed the second series, but I didn't find it quite as gripping, quite as involving. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I mean, I really, I did really like the second series, but there was more of a kind of an atmosphere in the first series, which mm. there was more of a link you could see between the old books, the old books, and the um, <laughs> the originals, and the uh, and that modern day TV series. Mm. Uh, like for example, the the one one of the second second episode, I think, with the uh, there's a lot of Oriental sort of stuff going on that really put me mm. in mind of sort of the books and the 19th century yeah. type things and that sort of thing but I still like yeah I still really like the second series and I mean, they've got a great cast I mean Cumberbatch is mm. superb I think it's always good mm. so yeah I, I enjoyed it but um, perhaps not quite as much as, as the first series mm. well we'll see I don't know when the second the third series is coming out I think not for a while because I think they're they're both involved in the two main leads are in fairly high profile films at the moment oh uh, right Cumberbatch is doing the second Star Trek movie, um, and obviously, um, Chappie plays Watson. I forget his name now. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah, he's doing um, the Hobbit movies. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Is yeah, he actually playing um, Bilbo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Sylvester McCoy, of course. Mm, yes. Because you're a bit of a Hoovian as well, aren't you? Yes. Yes. You could say that. Yeah, putting it mildly. <laughs> Looking forward to the new series. As always, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the uh, the trailer that came out recently? Remind me. Well, they say it's the American. Yeah, they show a few clips of the the Wild West. Yeah, so you see this kind of cyborg 
gunslinger. I think that's the only trailer I've seen, actually. Yeah, there's a little bit of... Um, you see some sort of mountain stuff going on with snow and a little Dalek eye stalk coming out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. When is the series supposed to be coming back? I'm kind of out of the loop, really, because I've not been They're going They're talking about it potentially being September. That's not too bad. Mm. Not too long to wait. Mm. Mm. The ponds are, are being written out. Do you think it's... It's about time. About time. Yeah, it's about time. I don't mind them as characters, but I think it's it's time for a change, possibly. I'm definitely not as anti-pons as a lot of people seem to be, mm. but um, it's it's time. I'd, I for some reason I don't really like the idea of one doctor just having one lot of companions, mm. um, because it you have a different companion with the same doctor. Shows a little bit different side of his personality. Yeah, because obviously you get a different dynamic, don't you? With Rose, you, you're obviously besotted with her, and then with Martha, you get the opposite. Mm. As he, so the Doctor gets to do sort of different relationships. Yeah. Really. But yeah. Well, thanks very much, Sam, for coming on the show. That's all right. It's been a pleasure. And maybe we'll have you back sometime. Maybe. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. Well, I'd like to. But, uh... <laughs> Watch this space, folks. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter, so you can contact us at Nerdology UK. We're also on Facebook, so if you just go into the search bar on Facebook, type in Nerdology UK Podcast, uh, you should find us there. Um, So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye.